Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I'm McKay Christensen, and I'm thrilled you joined us today. Did you know that six in 10 adults in North America say they've listened to at least one podcast this month? And three out of four of those podcast listeners say that they tune in to feel inspired and bring a level of joy to their day. And one-third of all podcast listeners listen to the same podcast regularly. Well, I'm one of them. I love uplifting podcasts. And I hope that this podcast, Open Your Eyes, can be a source of daily inspiration for you. And if it does help you, be sure to subscribe so you automatically get the new podcast as it's released each week. And if you enjoy the podcast, please share it with a friend. Just send the link with a quick message. It's a way to help them find a bit of inspiration in their week as well. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about you, about you starting a business for wishes. Yes, wishes, the kind we grant for and give to others and the kind we seek to be granted for ourselves. Both have the power to change your life. You know, my daughter works for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, and she loves her job. Several years ago, when she was in college, after volunteering internationally, she decided to change her major and focus her studies and future work on organizations that were doing good in the world. She interned at several foundations, and after graduating from college, she was hired by Make-A-Wish. She loves being in the wish-granting business. In the spring of 1980, seven-year-old Charles Grecius was being treated for leukemia, and he wanted to become a police officer when he was older. So, Officer Tommy Austin worked with other officers at the Arizona Department of Public Safety, and Chris spent the day as a police officer. He rode in the helicopter, he was sworn in, and made lots of friends throughout the day. Now, Chris didn't live much longer, but this visit had a lasting impact because his wish became the inspiration for the creation of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. The foundation was founded in 1980 to fulfill wishes of children 18 years of age and younger who have critical illness. Now, some of my favorite wishes granted include, first, 11-year-old Ariel Nilsson. She suffered from a brain tumor near her pituitary gland and had been dealing with it since she was three. Surgeries, treatments, and medications zapped her of her energy a lot of the time. And the tumor had returned again and again. Her dad said it was like a cloud that was always hanging over her and her family. Well, Ariel loved horses and models of horse stables. And her basement was full of model barns, corrals, and eight-inch horses. And Briarfest is a festival hosted by Briar, the company that sells model horses. At Briarfest, they also have actual horses that are the inspiration for their models. Well, Ariel always wanted to go to Briarfest. So, to grant her wish, the Briar Company hosted her at the three-day conference. There, she got to talk to a lot of people who loved what she loved, and she got her own personal riding lessons. It was an amazing three days for a little girl who loved horses. Make-A-Wish has granted thousands and thousands of wishes. J.J. spent the day with pro wrestler and actor John Senna. Seven kids were hosted as VIPs at the Major League Baseball All-Star Game. Logan Piz, who was diagnosed with terminal cancer, had one wish, 
to hold the actual Stanley Cup. So he got the trophy for a day, and his mom said he cried the entire day. Kaysen got to spend the day with a Wolverine. Janelle James was diagnosed with leukemia when she was 13 months old. At age 17, she was part of the Oakland A's team when they played the Boston Red Sox to fulfill and grant her wish. Now, other organizations grant wishes as well. 13-year-old Charlie Pena was in the hospital going through chemotherapy when the phone rang in his room. His parents handed him the phone, and the caller said, Hey, Coach Charlie, what's up? It's Donovan McNabb. Donovan was the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles. You see, one year earlier, Charlie had gone to the Eagles minicamp, and Coach Reed at the time made Charlie coach for the day. And that means he sat in on strategy sessions and then coached the team, including his hero, Donovan McNabb. I think that day just outranked every other thing in his life at that time, said Charlie's mom. And that wish, believe it or not, it gave him something. I can't say that it was confidence because he always had that, but it gave him some psychological edge. Since then, Charlie has almost died twice, but he is enduring. And he says he walks with a bit of a new swag because he is Donovan McNabb's friend. So here's the thing. What does your organization do? Are you, is your organization, is your business in the wish-granting business? The amazing thing is that when you decide that you are in the wish-granting business, you and your business become more attractive. My favorite wish-granting story happened to Jason. Jason was diagnosed with autism at the age of two, and living in Rochester, New York, Jason had difficulty learning social skills, but had no problem falling in love with the game of basketball. Well, thanks to his older brother, Josh, in high school, the coach appointed Jason the manager of the basketball team. It was a way to help him connect with the players and they with him. The players called him J-Mac, the same as the local favorite Syracuse player, G-Mac. And after becoming manager, Jason had a wish, and it was to sit on the sideline in a uniform, a real uniform, as a real player for one game. Well, towards the end of the season, Coach Jim Johnson added Jason's name to the roster for a single game. And this way, Jason could get a jersey and sit on the bench with the other players during the game. But with four minutes to go in the game, his team had a double-digit lead so the coach started to consider putting Jason in the game for a single play. Well, the crowd had noticed that Jason was on the bench and wearing a jersey, and they also noted that there was a large lead, so they started to chant, J-Mac, J-Mac. So the coach thought, why not? And Jason went in the ball game. Well, his team took the ball down the court, and Jason was standing on the baseline behind the three-point line, and they passed the ball to him, and the opposing team, knowing what was going on, backed off just a little bit, and Jason shot the ball. He missed by three to four feet. Then the next time down the floor, Jason missed the layup. But the third time down the floor, he had an open three-pointer, and he made it. The stands, the students, the parents, and everyone went wild. The cheers rocked the roof. Then the next time down the floor, another three-pointer and then another, and then another. In total, Jason hit six three-pointers in a row. Well, the game was videotaped by a student who was sort of the substitute team videographer, 
And he broke the rules and scanned the crowd as Jason was making the three-point shots. And there he caught many of the audience members in tears. Well, Jason's speech pathologist got a copy of the tape and sent it to a local news station. Then it made its way to a national audience. Even the BBC was showing copies of Jason's game. Soon, Magic Johnson and others were commenting on the video. Even President George Bush stopped by on a trip to New York to meet Jason. He told Jason that he cried when he saw the tape of the game. Peyton Manning, Steve Kerr, and other athletes also teared up at Jason's performance, and they had to meet J-Mac themselves. Well, Jason McElwain won an ESPY award for the best moment in sports in 2006. Today, Jason still works for his family at a restaurant, but he wrote a book, travels, and speaks to raise money for autism research, and he shoots baskets at the YMCA. In September 2012, he ran his first marathon and qualified in that marathon for the Boston Marathon the next year. At Boston, he ran a very impressive two-hour and 57-minute marathon, proving to the world that he was indeed an elite athlete and that wishes, the best wishes, do come true. Now, I suspect that much of J-Mac's notoriety and many of his wishes that have come true can be traced back to a high school coach who wanted Jason to be part of the team, so he made him manager of the team. Then he saw an opportunity for Jason to get his wish and sit on the bench, then an opportunity to put him in the game, and on it went. You see, we have the power to do this for others in our life. And I know that some of you listening today are building a business and that you're already helping people reach their goals. And you're already in, so to speak, the wish-granting business. And there is something that happens when you see your business in this way of helping people. All of a sudden, you become more authentic. Your approaches and overviews and coaching all become more attractive because of it. You know, we use the word wish all the time. We send best wishes. We wish for the best. We wish others the best and wish for things that may not at first seem attainable. We say, I wish you were here. I wish I could do that. I wish I could remember. I wish I had come sooner. It's one thing to use the word wish or to send someone a wish, but an entirely different thing to see a wish come about in someone's life by what you do. This takes a leader who is a first-class noticer, someone who sees what other people are hoping for and then goes about helping to make that happen. Now, some wishes may seem impossible at first to achieve. You know, I've watched my daughter who's raising an autistic son, and her one wish would be for his brain to rewire and function as he grows so he can enjoy a full and rich life. She wishes he could improve in his behavioral skills and wishes for a future for him that is different than how he is today. And as I watch her, it occurs to me that wishes seem to be part hope, part pleading, part prayer. And wishes have this nobility and righteousness to them. And I've often wondered if when I pray, does God in fact listen? And I think he does. But the way he answers those prayers is by inspiring another person to come to my aid. And if that's the case, then I suspect we're often all called to do his bidding. That means we're called to answer prayers and wishes. And the question is, are we listening and watching 
for those opportunities. You know, when I was a young boy, my family had fallen on hard times. My father had lost his job for a while. My younger sisters had been born several months premature and spent a long time in the hospital accumulating hospital bills. The healthcare costs were well beyond what my family could afford. My older brothers were volunteering overseas and dependent on my father for the means to live. And our house had been damaged in an earthquake. And needless to say, we had no money whatsoever. It was winter and the holidays were soon approaching. And my mother never said anything to me, but I'm certain she was praying and wishing that somehow they could make it through the holidays and that some help, any help, would come their way. Well, a few days before Christmas, I was lying on the living room floor, taking a nap asleep, when a knock came to the front door. And I was slow to get up to answer the door, and my mom couldn't climb over me to quickly answer either. So by the time she opened the door, whoever had been on the doorstep had left. Lying on the porch was a box. And when my mother opened the box, she found two dresses, the exact size of my baby twin sisters, and also $2,000 in cash. There was no note. There was no way to determine who had granted the desperate wish of my mom. But to her, it was more than the means to afford something for the holidays. It was hope. And the funny thing is that giving hope can happen every day in small and big ways. For example, my daughter has found an amazing speech therapist for her son. And the therapist goes above and beyond. It's such a gift. And our grandson, as a result, is starting to talk, which, for my daughter and us, brings us to tears every time we hear precious words come out of my grandson's mouth. So, let me ask you, what wish could you fulfill today? Could you give some encouragement? Could you forgive, accept, compliment, aid, assist, or serve? And if you do, you'll find that a wish business is the best kind of business to own. You know, Carrie was born in Westminster, London. He was the youngest of three sons. His father painted portraits, and his mom was an interior designer. But his grandparents and other relatives had been performers. Some were actors, some singers, and others directors. Well, his parents divorced when he was four, and his father took his own life seven years later. And despite these and other challenges as a boy, Kerry often dreamed that he would follow his grandparents and become a star in the film industry. He first worked as a production assistant on film productions. In fact, on one film, he was assigned to assist Marlon Brando. And the more he worked on films, the more he wished that he could become a successful stage and movie actor. So after moving to the United States, he studied acting at the Lee Strasberg Theater and Film Institute. Four years later, he got a chance when he played the lead role in a British drama, Lady Jane. But while this had been a good role, Carrie had yet to find his big breakthrough. Then one day, while he was working in Berlin on a lesser-known film, he got a message from his agent. It simply said, important. So he picked up the phone and called. His agent told him that she arranged a meeting for Carrie with director Rob Reiner. Rob was the son of Carl Reiner. And Rob was flying out to meet Carrie. <laughs> he thought, why is Rob Reiner flying to meet me? I'm only 23 and I really have no serious acting outside of this role in Lady J. Well, unbeknownst to Carrie, Rob Reiner was just coming off a very successful film, and the studio told him he could choose his next project. And Reiner clarified, anything I want? And he was told yes. Okay, he said, I want to do The Princess Bride. 
And the studio executive said, anything but that. But Reiner, who read the story as a child, got his way, and his boyhood story would be his film to make. And Reiner immediately knew that Billy Crystal would be in the film, that theater star Mandy Patinkin would play Indigo Montoya, and Chris Saradin and Christopher Guest would be in the movie. But they were searching for the actor who could play the lead role of Wesley. So Rob Reiner and the film's producer showed up in Germany at Carrie's hotel. And Carrie was nervous, and they talked for a while. Then Rob asked Carrie to read a few lines from the script. So he opened up one of Wesley's monologues in which Wesley recounts to Princess Buttercup how he became the dread pirate Roberts. Carrie cleared his throat and started to read. It was then that Carrie's wish started to take shape. Reiner loved Carrie's voice, his mannerisms. He'd seen Carrie perform in Lady Jane, and not long into his reading, Rob said, that's enough, and he offered Carrie the job on the spot. Well, soon the cast came together. Robin Wright, Andre the Giant, and a host of others traveled to London for the shoot of the movie. As they gathered around the table to begin reading the script together, the story of the Princess Bride came to life. Wesley, a farm boy, falls in love with a farm girl, and as he goes about his chores on the farm, whenever she would ask him for something, his response was the same, as you wish. Finally, there comes a day when Wesley knows he'll never capture the girl's heart until he finds his fortune. So he sets off in the world to do so, and then to return to her. But the ship upon which he was traveling was attacked by the dread pirate Roberts, but he's befriended and eventually inherits the job as Pirate Roberts. Meanwhile, the girl is courted by the prince, and she's abducted as part of a plot on the part of the prince to create a war by blaming the country's neighbor for her abduction and death. But Wesley returns, intervenes, rescues the princess, and all is right in the end. Now, the movie has a number of rather famous one-liners. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Inconceivable. Sweet marriage, that blessed arrangement. You seem a decent fellow. I hate to kill you. Well, you seem a decent fellow. I hate to die. And there are more. But the most oft-repeated phrase throughout the movie is, as you wish. Now, my favorite story from the making of the movie is about Billy Crystal. During the shooting of The Princess Bride, there were three days, right in the middle of the schedule, in which Billy Crystal and Carol Kane showed up, and their job was to film the scene in which Miracle Max and his wife bring Wesley, who is mostly dead, back to life. The scene starts with Inigo Montoya and the giant knocking on the door of their tree, or rather house, to solicit the help of the two ancient ones who had lived for a thousand years and possessed some type of magic. Well, Billy and Carol, in preparation, spent hours in makeup. Billy told the makeup artists he wanted them to make him look like a cross between an old ancient magician and his grandmother. And the funny thing was that once the makeup was on, Crystal stayed in character. Even when not reciting lines, he never left character. If they were taking a break at lunch, he never left character. He spoke in the same nonsensical accent he and Carol made up while they were sitting in hours of makeup. Rob, the director, just let Billy Crystal improvise and many of his improvisations made it into the film. Carey said, From the first shot in which cantankerous Max appears, poking his head through a wooden peephole in the door, Billy Crystal began ad-libbing. 
for three days straight, 10 hours a day, he improvised, never saying the same thing or the same line twice. We laughed the entire time. For example, when Max opens the peep door, the original script called Inigo to ask whether he is the same Miracle Max who worked for the king all those years. And Max is supposed to simply reply, the king's stinking son fired me. But Billy decided to add the line, and thank you so much for bringing up such a painful subject. While you're at it, why don't you give me a nice paper cut and pour lemon juice on it? So what you see in the film today is not at all what the script writers originally wrote. However, one phrase that stands, just as it was written in the book and in the film script, is, as you wish. In fact, the story about Wesley and Buttercup ends with him saying again, as you wish. And the movie ends with a grandfather reading the book to his grandson. And his grandson, who didn't think he would like the book because it has kissing in it, asked the grandfather to read it again. And the movie ends with the grandfather saying, as you wish. If I've learned anything in life, it is that life usually goes as we wish. Meaning, wherever our wishes are headed, life tends to steer the same way. And if we wish we were more educated, the pull of such wishes tend to keep us interested in looking for a way to get that degree or become more educated. If our wish is to be a better leader, find financial security, become more effective, or whatever it is that we're wishing, life tends to lean that way. So, if you could wish for anything today, if any one wish were to be granted for you right now, what would that wish be? Do you know? Because I suspect if you really have that wish and you stick with that wish, it will soon become more a part of you than you think. There is power in worthwhile wishes. And something else about wishes. They tend to change over time. I don't wish today for the same things I wished four years ago. My wishes have changed and evolved, and I'm sure yours have too. In 1972, Sean's father, Reiner, was working at a military base in Germany. And Reiner was six feet, eight inches tall, and was lucky enough to marry Teresa, who herself stood six feet tall. So you had to predict that their children would be tall as well. Well, sure enough, Sean stood taller than everyone around him. And after his family moved to the United States, he grew and grew. And at the end of junior high school, he was six feet, eight inches tall. By the end of high school, he was seven feet, five inches tall and would soon grow to seven feet, six inches tall. Now, there are an estimated 2,800 people in the world who are seven feet or taller, but the number who are seven, six is less than a dozen. Sean grew up on a farm and farming and sports were his life. And in high school, he averaged over 20 points a game for his basketball team. Well, needless to say, Sean started to think, to wish that one day he could play in the NBA. And he was heavily recruited to most colleges, but he chose to stay and play close to home. In his freshman season, he set several records and was the Western Athletic Conference Freshman of the Year. Well, Sean then took two years off from basketball, years in which he would be earning tens of millions of dollars in the NBA to serve a volunteer mission for his church. And when he returned home, he didn't return to college, but he entered the NBA draft. In the 1993 NBA draft, there were lots of debates from the critics about whether Sean was a good pick or not. Some saw him as the most intriguing prospect in the draft and others as a risk. 
because while he was seven feet, six inches tall, he was a very thin 230 pounds and he would get pushed around a bit. Well, ultimately, he was drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers with the second overall pick. In his rookie season, his playing results were mixed. The next season, he improved, but he was traded to the New Jersey Nets, then to the Dallas Mavericks, where he played for eight years. His play in Dallas was semi-strong, and he played a major role in their success, but as time went on and he got older, he only played sparingly and ended his career without a lot of fanfare. To the analysts, Bradley's career may not have met expectations, especially that of a number two draft pick. And some even said he fell short of his own expectations. Well, he admits that he wishes his NBA career would have taken a different direction. And I suspect he may have spent a lot of time wishing that things had happened differently. Many ballplayers do. And I suspect Sean isn't alone. You and I at times may not meet our own expectations. We may wish we did better or stayed longer or lived without mistakes. But the truth is that sometimes expectations are unmet. And what we wish for often comes about, but not in the way we expected. Well, years later, in January of 2021, Sean was riding his bike near his home in St. George, Utah. He was maneuvering through a roundabout and preparing to exit onto a road when he was struck by a Dodge minivan driven by a driver who was in a hurry, and he was pushed into a parked car, tumbled over the trunk of the car, and landed headfirst on the asphalt his helmet cracking under the weight of his 300-pound body. Well, immediately he realized he couldn't move his arms or legs. He couldn't sit up. He couldn't control his breathing, and he wondered, am I going to suffocate? Well, the ambulance arrived, and the EMTs didn't think he would fit into the back of the ambulance, but they found a way and got him to the hospital. There he learned he had a broken neck and was told he was paralyzed from the chest down. He was a C6 quadriplegic, meaning he had a loss of sensation and function from the top of his rib cage down, and the expectation that his triceps and the muscles in his hands and forearms would have little or no function. For Sean, everything had to be done differently. The rehab equipment was too small. His legs were too long. His wheelchair was too big for a typical car. And of most concern to his physical therapist was the mental impact on Sean himself. You see, his body, his height, his skills had been his identity, and his height allowed him to be a lottery pick in the NBA. Now his height was a huge obstacle to his recovery. Well, that's how it is with wishes sometimes. You know, Sean Bradley wishes that day on his bike, he had been a bit faster or slower in his ride to avoid the accident. His wife wishes Sean was smaller so she could care for him easier. His kids wish they didn't have to care for their dad, but their dad could care for them. And there are a lot of wishes going around in the Bradley household. But here's the thing. Sean realizes that there's no value in wishing things were different, but there's tremendous value in wishing you can become something new. As Les Brown said, you can't grow until you're willing to put on someone new, and you'll never improve yourself if you cling to what you used to be. Sean says that he sees a new purpose in his life. He now sees himself in a new role. What's that new role? To be a force for good and encouragement. And his wishes have changed. He doesn't wish for baskets or records or championships anymore. Now he wishes for the kids he's speaking to at a school 
that they can take encouragement from him and not let the small things get them down. He wishes he could be of more help around the house for his wife, and he wishes and hopes to walk again. But if not, he will use what he has left for good. You know, the heart of a typical person weighs about 10 ounces. Sean's heart is estimated to be almost three times that size. And for years, he used his heart to power his legs and height for good. Now, he uses his heart, his empathy, and his love and his energy for good. I suspect that your wishes have changed in your lifetime as well. You know, you have the power to grant wishes to those around you. Don't spend another day waiting to start your business, your wish business, and be a noticer and go about helping all of those you can. And don't be afraid to do a little wishing yourself. And I return to the same question I asked earlier. What one wish would you like to see come about in your life? Hold on to that wish. You never know, but that wish may come to be more true in your life than you think possible. And remember, wishes can and do change as life and God go about teaching us what we need to learn to become who we should become. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week as we seek to open our eyes to who and what we can become. 